Hello, everyone. <laughs> it is great to be back here at Samaka. I have missed you. If you don't know me, I'm Tom, usually here with my adult supervision, Lisa. She is not feeling well tonight, and so I've asked Lauren to be here for me and to keep me in line. So I'm going to be watching her eyes if she gives me the, you know, I know I'm, <laughs> we used to call that the goink. Get the, if you get the goink, you know you're in trouble. Yes. Oh, Lisa would deck her head just to shake her head. And by the way, Lisa, they say they miss you more than they miss me. So that's the way it is. Uh, I have like a thousand things going around my head of what I wanted to talk to you about tonight. And I, I even spend most of the day thinking, how am I going to align all this stuff? And it's not going to. Um, uh, but I am going to start with a verse and then kind of riff off of that and just see where, see where we end up at tonight. Uh, it's Ecclesiastes in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Ecclesiastes, written, written by Solomon, right, the wisest guy in the world. Solomon was the guy God said, do you want wisdom or do you want riches? And Solomon said, I'll take wisdom. He says, good answer. Ding, 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 ding. Door number two, you get both. And then Solomon proceeded to do nothing in his own life that looked wise at all. And what's hilarious is it's a great example of us uh, today, right? I, I am the best advice giver ever. Do you think I can take my own advice? No. We give great advice. I mean, we're like, that was brilliant. But we won't take our own advice. And that was Solomon. Uh, my dad used to say this line. He'd say, do as I say, not as I do. And, yeah. and he was a criminal. I'm like, good chance. Good chance that's going to happen. Um, we are like Solomon. But Solomon within Ecclesiastes has some good things to say. His book, Proverbs, he wrote Proverbs for his son. He has all this words of wisdom. But then he says this. In Ecclesiastes. Now he's talking about how everything under the sun is worthless. It's a chasing after the wind. He's relived his entire life. He's done everything there is to do and realized he screwed everything up. And the only thing that matters was fear of the Lord. He should have been following God. He wasn't following God. He did everything God told him not to do. So in this book, he's kind of bemoaning the fact and trying to teach us, don't do what I did, right? But Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10, this is what it says. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A three-four-fold cord is not easily broken. So you look two-two-two and then three-fold cord. Well, when we give weddings, do weddings, we always use that three-fold cord thing as the husband, the wife, and God wrapped and Jesus wrapped around them. Um, but I'm going to focus on the twos instead here. This is really, really interesting because the wisdom he's trying to say is, I did everything by myself in life and look where it got me, right? And, and he's trying to say that sometimes you need others involved in your life. And those others, there's actually four types of people you're supposed to have in your life. And I'm going to actually um, try to do this off the top of my head because I left that sheet at home, but that's okay. God's going to bring it to mind. I know he will. And if not, we'll make it up. Um, Solomon, who did he have? And who could he go to for wisdom? He's the wisest guy in the room, right? Scripture says plans fail for lack of counsel, right? So what, when, when, when we have something that's on our mind or we need advice, we go to people that we trust and, and get their advice. Now, we don't always take it, but we should seek it. That's what Scripture says. But who, who, could, who could Solomon go to? Only God. And he wasn't doing that because he was too busy having horses and concubines and everything else he was doing. Marrying foreign women and you know, playing the field. 
a little, he has like a thousand wives and 900, 700 concubines or something like this or vice versa. Yeah, he's a better man than I. I mean, I'm married to one and wow, that's a handful. It's hard for me. Two are better than one. So let's start talking about what this looks like. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Good reward. He was saying that everything under the sun is hard work, right? So when we work, we can work by ourselves. Ever been in a job where it's just you working by yourself? Yeah, that's hard. That, I've, you know, what do you do with that? Most, most successful organizations have teams. And you're part of something bigger than yourself instead of like being a one-man wrecking crew. So you can have an individual business. I've had businesses that were uh, limited liability corporations or sole proprietorships, but that didn't mean I didn't rely on other people. Matter of fact, my most successful business, I was a political consultant. But I worked with a printer and a mail house and a graphic designer and campaign people and all these different folks. Even though it was my business, I was the sole person. I had all these other people I worked with because two are better than one. I made more money with all these other people than I ever would have made just trying to do all that stuff on my own. Plus, I didn't have the skill set to do it all on my own, did I? The answer is no, because I stink at graphic design. So two are better than one in work, right? Two are better than one when one falls down. Now, here's the interesting part about this one. Because when you fall down, it's great, someone lift you back up. How good are you at asking for help? Everyone's eyes just went, Ur. no, we aren't good at that. It's a pride issue, honestly because it's embarrassing, even humiliating, to ask for help when we need it. Usually when we need help, it's because we've gotten ourselves in trouble somehow, right? Because we've fallen down. And, and if we ask for help, our, our culture, our society says that's a weakness. You're weak if you ask for help, especially in the male community. I have a, a guy right now who uh, uh, I've been, I was mentoring over at somewhere I preach. And he left that place, got on his own, thought it was going to be great, hasn't turned out great. And he's on his social media saying how bad things are. I mean, really heartfelt bad. And a, another a number of people, including myself, have reached out to him. And he will not take our advice. He will not meet with us. He will not respond. Because he's a very proud guy. And he doesn't think he should need help, even though he desperately needs help and recognizes he needs help, he's not going to ask for it or take it when it's offered. What's going to happen to him? It's going to go down to tubes. He's going to spiral. And there's no saving that guy. Because if you don't ask for help when you're in need or allow others to bless you with help when they offer, you are then truly on your own. Right? Well, God is your help in times of trouble. But there's an old joke about that. Have you heard the old joke about the, uh, the guy in the flood? Yeah. Okay, I won't tell it. Fine, Deidre. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Deidre's like, yes, don't tell that joke again. <laughs> wow. I haven't been here in a while, have I? Yeah, well, there could, there could be a little bit of that going on. For the rest of you on this side of the room who have not heard this joke, there's a flood. And the sheriff comes and knocks on the door, tells this guy, there's a flood coming, there's a flood coming. He goes, no, no, I'm going to rely on the Lord. The sheriff looks at him, okay. Well, the water comes into the first floor, and he goes to the second floor, and a boat comes. And the boat feels again, the boat, come on, there's a flood. And the guy says, no, no, I'm going to rely on the Lord to save me. Well, sure enough, the water's rising, he's on his roof. And a helicopter comes, 
Oh, and there's a flood. He goes, I know, I'm wet in the water, right, Lord. You haven't heard like this, have you? <laughs> and the helicopter flies away, and the guy dies. And he gets in front of Jesus and says, I was relying on you to save me. What happened? He goes, well, I sent you a sheriff, a boat, and a helicopter. What else you want from me? <laughs> See, it's still a funny joke, even if you've heard it. That's how we get. We don't, we don't look for the people God puts in our lives to be the help and support and the lifter-uppers and all that kind of stuff, like Scripture says. Why is this guy, whoever lives, says, two are better than one, because when you fall down, one can lift you up. Right? Ever been in a pit? Not lately, but I'm sure you have been, right? I have been. And uh, who lifts you up? One, one of the things that's really hard about life is when you have trauma in your life, this is going to turn into a counseling session, trauma in your life, you have trust issues. And when you have trust issues, you won't let someone come help you because you don't trust them. And rightfully so, you have trust experience, right? But sometimes God will give you that boat or that sheriff or that helicopter because he recognizes that you're in need and you need someone to lift you up out of the pit. But our pride gets in our way. And our fear gets in the way. And our emotions get in the way. And we'd rather live in dysfunction in the pit than have someone help us out of it. I have a guy I'm walking with now who uh, can't understand why I'm walking with him. Why do you stick around me? Why do you... He's self-sabotaging, right? He's trying to make sure he doesn't have someone to walk with him because if he doesn't have someone to walk with him, then he can fail and be a self-fulfilled prophecy. And I won't let him. So he's doing things to try to get me to be frustrated. And I kind of chuckle at it because, you know, not my first rodeo. And uh, he'll get there eventually, right? So we don't look for that person to help us up for a lot of reasons. But Solomon says, two are better than one. And if you don't have that in your life, you need to have that. It says, if two are, are, are cold, they can keep each other warm. Back, back in that day, there were shepherds, and they would stay overnight with their sheep, right? And you really shouldn't cuddle up with sheep. But if you had another shepherd guy, you could cuddle, you know, have the, have the coats around you and stuff. They tell you when you're, in, you know, I guess snowbound, you do that, keep the body warm and all that. If not, you're just going to freeze to death. You could die for not having someone else in your life, is what he's saying. And then um, if someone attacks you and says two of you can fight them off instead of one of you, chances are getting attacked by one person when there's two of you, then, you know, then anyway, it's not going to happen. So all this stuff says that two are better than one. But what, what do these two people look like in your life? And this is the part that is going to come out right off the top of my head. You ready? ready? Now, I got this from Charisma Magazine, so you know it's good. Uh, they say first... <laughs> Yeah, I'm plagiarizing. It happens. Um, you need a grace giver. A grace giver. Somebody that will listen to everything you have to say without judgment who gives you nothing but grace. Y'all have that? Someone that's just non-judgmental, doesn't care. You can tell them the worst, worst, worst thing in the world, and they're like, meh. I try to be that for a lot of the people I, I mentor uh, because there's, there's very little I've not seen or heard. Probably nothing at this point, um, you know, age. But they're always surprised when I'm not shocked by their stories. And honestly, I, I deal with murderers and rapists and pedophiles and, you know, worst of the worst. 
and they can't understand why I don't judge them because everyone else does. I'm like, well, you're the people that need Jesus the most, aren't you? And scripture says if someone doesn't come preach to you, who, how are you going to hear about Jesus? How can you hear the gospel? Right? We're supposed to love everybody. I'm not supposed to judge you on your performance. God will do that. So you need that grace giver. You need that person that will bear your burdens with you. So a second type of person, someone that will walk with you and bear your burdens. Scripture says that you're supposed to bear each other's burdens within the faith. So we need someone that not only you can tell your deepest, darkest stuff to, but the, the shame, the guilt, the hurt, everything you got in you, they can bear with you and they can walk with you. Now, I tell people that if you're someone who's found your way out of the darkness and into the light, you have a responsibility to go back into the dark and lead others out because you know the way. That's what bearing with someone looks like. And we all know from our own struggles that it's always two steps forward, 15 steps back, three steps forward, a step back, seven steps forward. It, it's, it's a wild roller coaster ride. And I always warn people that want to get involved in mentoring especially younger people, it's if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. Once you're in, you're in. It's a lifelong relationship. It's not something you just do, you know, check off the box that I mentored somebody and walk off. You know, you're in. Because the journey isn't clean. The burden bearing is never clean. And so if you understand you're in it for the long haul, the burden doesn't seem very heavy because it's, placed over a period of time. <laughs> you know, if someone came to me and said, okay, I want you to bear my burden, but I need this fixed by Thursday. <laughs> like, you know, I'm good, but I'm not that good. <laughs> right? And I, I can medicate you until Thursday, but I can't really do anything else to you. <laughs> so the burden bearer is really, really important. The encourager. The encourager. You need someone that will be around you to lift you up. I, I read this book once on the advice of a couple pastors I knew. When I first got in the faith, some of you know I was out of the faith for about 25 years, out of the church. And I got back to church, and <laughs> I'm not like everyone else, if you haven't noticed. And uh, I don't really fit into the, the box that says church. Um, I have a very colorful background, and my views are a little different. Um, so they gave me this book. And it was called Balcony People. I thought, oh, what a nice name. And it was their subtle way of telling me there are two kinds of people in the world, and I was one of them, and it wasn't the balcony person. <laughs> the, the balcony people were the people that lift you up by your hands and gently lift you and encourage you. And then there were the basement people that grabbed you by your ankles and tried to pull you down with them. And they were trying to say, Tom, you're a basement person. And I was like, well, yeah. I mean, look where I'm from. Look what happened to me. Of course I'm a basement person. That's all I know is the basement. I'm comfortable in the basement. Shut up. <laughs> but I read that book and it really convicted me about the language I used, how I approached people. Um, did I even care or love people? And the answer was no. And I had, I had to really wrestle with God over that and say, really, am I really a basement person? I think I'm a pretty nice guy. And God's like, it's not about being a nice guy. It's about how are you going to encourage people through the love of Christ? not an attaboy. And I was like, ugh, okay. So I had to learn that. And it took a long time to turn that around, but God did a miraculous thing with me. He made me love people. He made me be a, a very encouraging person. And, and believe me, if you knew me years ago, you would never seen that because that's not 
who I was. That's not how life conditioned me. But what I realized was, as I tried to become more of an encourager, I never had that in my life. I didn't have a balcony person lifting me up. And I'm a product of my environment. So you kind of emulate how you grow up, right? And so my childhood development stunk because I didn't have that encourager there. And so do you have an encourager? So you have a grace person, a burden bearer, an encourager. Someone's encouraging, lifting you up. Do you have a balcony person that's, that's there lifting you up? And then the last one everyone loves, called the truth teller. This is where I'm really good. <laughs> you know, there's people that are grace and there are people that are truth. And we're supposed to be both at the same time, but only really Jesus can do that. Uh, every one of us leans one way or the other. I lean toward truth, and I really have to watch myself because I'm pretty blunt sometimes. I, I kind of say what it is, and as I'm getting older, it's getting worse. I'm like that guy, get off my lawn. It's, it's just horrible. Uh, no one warns you about this either. I was at Capitol Manor preaching once to you know the older folks, and I, and I looked at them. I said, I'm so mad at you men. And they were, what do you mean? I was like, you never tell us young guys this happens to us. You know, what's with the hair and the ears and all this other stuff that goes on? Why didn't you warn us? And they just laughed at me. I suppose if this is a rite of patches to getting old, but one of the things that happens is you get grumpier and your patience wears thin. And um, you tend to be more blunt. But sometimes blunt's good because scripture talks about your yes being your yes and your no being your no and not dance around. And you need a truth teller in your life. Now, who loves to hear the truth? Yeah, everyone, yay, we love the truth. <laughs> as long as it's nice. All right. Now, we're supposed to tell the truth in love and with grace, but the truth is the truth, and the truth hurts. Because the only time you really hear the truth is when you're not abiding by it. <laughs> when someone feels convicted to say, can you and I talk? <laughs> I got some truth to tell you. It's usually because you're outside the boundaries, you're outside the lane, and I got to try to pull you back in the lane. Now, what's fascinating about this book is people say, judge not, lest ye be judged. I'm not an actor. Um, this book also says in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 12, I mean for you to judge people in the church. See, Paul wrote a letter that we've lost. He says, in my previous letter, you misunderstood it. I didn't mean for you to judge the outsiders. What are they to us? If you do that, you can't even go outside. They're unbelievers. Think about it. How do you judge unbelievers? They don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not transformed. They're not born again. How can they do any of this? He goes, but I do want you to judge those in the church and hold them to the standard of Christ. Oh, that's a different line. No one talks about that. You know why? Because nobody in the church likes that. No one in the church likes to be held accountable I always joke that everyone wants to do Christian things until it's time to do Christian things. Like not gossip. And forgive your enemies. <laughs> Pray for those who persecute you. Love people that are unlovable. Right? Turn the other cheek. Leave room for God's vengeance, right? Everyone loves to be Christian when it's all about love, happiness, and, and, and potlucks. But when it's time to do real Christian stuff, the hard stuff, sacrifice. Die to yourself. Bear your cross. Humble yourself. Take an insult. That's hard. Right? And we need to be less, and Jesus needs to be more, just like John talked about. And so you need that truth teller in your life. Like my friends, the pastors, have said, Tom, you're a, you're a basement person, dude. And it's not okay. If you really want to go to seminary and be in the ministry, you can't be a basement person. You have to get that changed. 
Now, Scripture says there's three types of people. There are wise people that when you correct them with the truth, they will thank you. They will thank you. And then there are fools. And fools, when you correct them, they will mock you. Right? They'll tell you you're stupid. And then there's evil people. They just want to burn your house down. And Scripture says don't have anything to do with them. But the fools people of the world can be brought over to the wise. You can work with them. I've been mocked by a lot of people. And um, I don't give up because they're salvageable. They, they don't know better yet. They're people that don't, haven't met Jesus, or at least not met the Jesus I know, right? And you can work with them to get them to be wise to say, you know, I know you think you're being a Christian, but Matthew 7, 21 says, on that day, many will call me Lord, Lord, and I say, I never knew you. They said, don't we, didn't we, didn't we do these incredible things in your name? We, we, we uh, exercise demons and prophesize. And Jesus says, away from me, you evildoers. They weren't doing things to glorify God. They weren't doing things to be humble. They were doing things for themselves using Jesus' name. Didn't we exercise a demon? I have never exercised a demon in my life. Jesus has. Now, have I been in the room? Yeah. <laughs> Was I an instrument? Yeah, I did nothing. Jesus did the work. Holy Spirit does the work, right? And you can tell the difference between someone who wants to follow the Lord and understands their place in the partnership versus this guy saying, didn't we do this? We, we, what are you talking about we're not letting the kingdom of heaven? Right? And so you need that truth teller to disciple you. See, in discipleship, where you want to grow in the Lord, you need someone to say, here are the truths of Scripture. Right? Now, does this culture like this book? Oh. And as we get further and further in the culture, this thing gets harder and harder. Do we like everything in this book? I, you know, God is, I'm reading a book by Tim Keller right now about pain and suffering. And he's talking, he's the first writer I've seen say this other than me. God isn't like us. God isn't different than us. God is other than us. And we can't really comprehend what that other looks like. And so you can't really judge God on our standards if you like or dislike what he's doing. And that's the whole story of Job. Job at the end like, has no idea what's all this is happening to him. It seems so unfair by our system, our ideas. By God's idea, that's not unfair at all. And you don't understand God. God's ways aren't our ways. His are higher than ours. We'll never really understand it until we meet face to face. And so sometimes we've got to humble ourselves and be in that spot where we're going to be truth tellers and say, you know what? This book says some things. I'd do it differently if I were God. I'm not sure I would do the harem, which is kill every single breathing, living thing. Children, goats, dogs, cats. I, I, that would be hard for me. I, I don't think I could give that order. But God did. And we say, wow, that's not a very loving God. Or people die of natural disasters, or, or children get cancer, or all these different things happen. We're like, man, that God's unreasonable. I wouldn't do that. The truth is, I don't, I don't understand God that well. God has his reasons. And I trust, this is what I do, I trust God is right, and most of the time I'm wrong. <laughs> because what am I? I'm just, I'm nothing, man. And, and I'm just trying to get along and go along like everybody else. But I know this. When I've trusted God, it works out better.
than when I've not trusted God. How many of you tried to do things on your own without God? How'd it work out? Someone said good? You did this without God? Well, that God uses everything for the good of those who love him. You just, you just bounce to the right spot. Yeah, I like that. So when I think about these four types of people that you need in your life, I, I want you to really take an inventory. And now I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Do you recognize that all four of those people are sitting in this room for you right now? Oh, that was the look. You gave me the Lisa look. That was great. She's like, mm -hmm. defend that one, Tommy. Okay, I will. Remember what I said about trust? Remember what I said about um, trauma and how hard it is to... This place is a very unique place. It's almost like the military. You bring in people from all sorts of backgrounds with all sorts of things together and, and you try to assimilate. But there's friction, right? Because there's always friction between people of different backgrounds. Always. But there's someone here that can be a truth teller. There's someone here that can be a burden bearer. There's someone here that can be a grace-filled person. You all are here. Now, sometimes you get lucky and that person... The four people is one person. They can do that for you. I think of, of Jonathan. Remember Saul's son, Jonathan, who was best friends with David? Jonathan was a good guy to David, told him the truth. I think of Nathan, the, the prophet who had to go and be a truth teller to David, was careful how he did it because he was the king, but still was the truth teller to him. Right? We see this throughout Scripture. And what breaks my heart when I come here and some other places I preach is you don't use your resources. You don't use each other as the body of Christ and leverage everything you have for each other. Because honestly, let's say this place disappeared, you all ended up back out wherever you end up. Home, uh, Chicago, I don't know, wherever you end up. Do you have anything like this? Do you have any of that kind of support, that logistics, any of that stuff? I don't think so. This is a unique place. Now, I'm not going to say it's easy to share with somebody in confidence because confidence get broken, right? And you're like, I don't trust you. I'll trust you. Oh, Jill's in the back. I see her. I trust her. Jillie, how are you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. But... I would tell you that you first should say, instead of I need this kind of person, you should say, I want to be that kind of person. I want to be a truth teller to somebody because I think that would be my skill set because God's made me that way. I want to be a, a, a balcony person. I just want to lift people up. I just want to encourage them. So every day I'm going to go out and say something encouraging to somebody. I want to, I want to be that person that's a, a burden bearer. So I'm going to walk with you because I know people in this room are hurting. And I'm just going to walk up and saddle up next to them and, just be there and be a burden bearer, right? I'm going to be that person that is the grace giver. Ever heard of the term extra grace required? Yeah. The EGRs of the world? I'm an EGR. I really am. I'm an extra grace required person. I'm like coffee. I'm an acquired taste. Um, sometimes you need to be able to be the person who can put up with an EGR, right?
We start by being that for somebody and serving the Lord through the gifts he's given us and the blessings he's given us. And then what will be amazing is God will put those people in your life in return. And that's how you build relationship and you build trust and you build confidence and you can actually move forward with the four kind of people that scripture says we should have and then two you will find is better than one in all your circumstances. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Finished on time. Ha, 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 ha.